Today's guest is from SoCal. He spent time living in Belgium and now has called NorCal for the last four years home. For, former CPA, law enforcement, now personal trainer, please give a warm welcome to Dave Bauman. Dave, how's it going, man? Good, man. That was a pretty good intro. I forgot that I wrote all that. That's, uh, <laughs> well, sounds like a lot. I just changed it a little bit, made it sound sounds like a little nice. Sounds like it's bullshit, to be honest. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's kind of a weird mix of things, but uh, that's why I invited you on. You're an interesting fella. Uh, we spent some good time at Super Training together. Uh, right. la- two years ago now, I think. Well, I was thinking about that. It actually was it three? three. Yeah, it was. Holy shit! It was early 2017 because uh, I remember wow. I just quit my job, co Turkey. So we'll get into that. But that's how. Yeah. That's okay. Wow. Um, so where are you calling in from today? I am in a closet-looking conference room in one of the Google buildings in Sunnyvale. I okay. don't officially work for Google. I am a personal trainer for a company called Exos. Have you heard of those guys? I thought so. So they're like big in sports, more uh, NFL combine stuff, and then even military slash tactical. But they got into corporate fitness. I don't know who the original client was, but they definitely have Google and then, you know, the Alphabet company. So I'm, for some reason, allowed to go to any Google building with this badge uh, that I'll just hold up for you, which yeah. I look a little different in that one. <laughs> yeah. That's about two years ago. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. Um, I just ate a bunch of free food after my workout and feeling pretty good. Dude, that sounds like a good start to the day. <laughs> Killer, man. So... You're a personal trainer now, and you're working not at Google, or not for Google, but you're working and training people at that building. That's correct. The the intro, we said law enforcement, we said CPA. Uh, uh, yeah. let's, let's back up mm, several years, maybe sure. even dozens of years. Yep. Where did uh, where did you grow up? So, SoCal, right? So SoCal, yeah, small city called Hacienda Heights, technically LA County, um, about 20 miles east of LA. Not too many people know about that, but I went to school in Fullerton, so Cal State Fullerton, mm. which turned out to be a really good school. I just literally only went there because it was the only school at the time. This would have been oh, 2002, so I'm 35, just to date myself so everyone knows what's going on. 2002, I could get away with not taking my SATs to get into that school. That's the literally the only reason why I chose that place, because I, my GPA in high school was good enough, and... <laughs> Boom, walked in and ended up stumbling upon an accounting degree. I was originally a math major, like my father, his father before him. I don't know why I chose math. I have nothing really in common with those two folks. And ended up being a really good school for business. It's also a really good school for kinesiology. And I want to say um, uh, liberal arts as well, or any type of art, actually. Yeah. Sweet. So, more, so you're more Fullerton, Orange County, dude. Right on. So you end up at Fullerton. You grew up in the little small town in the east of LA and you studied accounting. And yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, sure did. I, I stumbled upon accounting. So after I quit math, um, I was like, what the heck am I going to do? I actually took a semester off. I was sort of paying my way through college. That's half true. I got grants for the majority. This is back when school was actually affordable. And it was a it was a Cal State. And luckily, my my father, who I grew up with, my parents are divorced. So I believe it's only um, taking consideration my father's salary where I was able to get a grant to go to school, almost basically a full ride. But one semester I had to pay for myself. And that's when I took one semester off that transition between math and business and try to figure out what the heck I'm going to do. Right. And uh, as many people that I talked to, I was like, hey, man, if you want to make 
you want to make money, go into business. I'm like, okay, I will choose business. But you don't just choose business. You have to then choose like a concentration, as they call it, or an emphasis. And I was like, what the hell am I going to choose? You got marketing like yourself, right? You have uh, economics. You have a bunch of – you have a slew of, of concentrations. And at that point, I've taken a handful of business, you know, pre-business ca- um, curriculum. And then I was like, well, accounting seems okay, and everyone hates it. So I think I'm going to go that route because it's uh, – uh, because everyone hates them, I'm, a, I'm an against-the-grain type of guy. So if everyone's going left, I like to try to go right. And uh, also, too, from a business perspective, the people that I did talk to as far as professors and whatnot said, if you still don't know what you want to do, but you know accounting, that's basically a good baseline to, to have in terms of the business world. Like you could hop over to finance later. You could hop over to marketing. You still have to learn this stuff, but at least, you know, one of the harder aspects of business and you'll know how a business is, is ran. Basically. Right. Okay. So accounting gives you the financial background, the foundation to like figure out profit and losses and revenue and net oh, growth uh, and all yeah. the, ta- all the sh- taxes and shit. I just got um, the shit. <laughs> My, my yeah the hair in my arm just went off like oh my god that's like, oh no uh so you got this foundation you're like sure let's go this route you this is not like a lifelong dream to become an accountant you literally stumbled into it yep 100 no uh both my my father and i believe his dad were math teachers uh and i will say unsuccessful from the traditional sense as well so i didn't really get a good um upbringing from that sense in terms of hey you should go down this route i just sort of knew uh, what not to do, if you want to call it that. So I'm not uh, regretful at all in how I was raised. And I like how I was raised, aka not raised to a certain extent, because allow me to be more independent. And I just sort of stumbled upon some things. And I was like, well, I learned early on, you're not really going to know no until you just start trying stuff. And I stumbled upon accounting, right? Uh, still had no idea what the hell I was going to do because I was working for this company called ING. I don't know if you know who that is. That's mm-hmm. that Lion. It's a financial company. They're all dissolved in the U.S., but they're back in Belgium, I believe. Is there, uh, They're still out there. And I was there with one of my good friends, and we were making, I'm going to do air quotes, um, lots of money. Uh, what I thought was lots of money as a college kid, right? As uh-huh. a salary. And I was like, man, this is a pretty good gig. You just sit behind the desk. You clock your eight and a half hours and you, and you go home. I was working from 5 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. So I beat the traffic in L.A. and I got to work out in the afternoon and then go to school at night. I'm like, it's not a bad life. Yeah. And then we got laid off. And I was ah. like, oh, okay. One of those layoffs, too, where it was like they put you in a giant conference room, like, like more of a ballroom with hundreds of people. They're laying off the entire – I want to say that – I don't know if it was the entire U.S. branch, but it was a major part of it. And they were moving them to Des Moines, Iowa at that point. And so you're talking people that have been in that company for decades, crying and, and, and you know, uh, rightfully so. But at that point, I was only an employee for like a month. And I was like, sweet, you're going to give me six weeks severance? And, <laughs> and our department was one of the last to go. So I had a job for like another six or seven months where – I was like, sweet. They, they transitioned a lot of the work, so I didn't really do anything. In fact, my immediate boss and my good buddy played like nine holes of, nine holes of golf in the middle of the day for three hours, like drank <laughs> and ate a buffet and then went back. So it was, it was a sweet life for a while. Oh, definitely. Especially in that co- early 20s college age. You're just oh, like, man. this is great. I'm getting paid to do nothing. Dude, life's not so hard. And then <laughs> – go ahead. And then <laughs> – and then, you know, once the layoff happened, you're like, oh, shit, what the hell am I going to do? This is not – it wasn't accounting related. What I was doing, you want to call it finance related, but it's – I don't know what it was. It's a very administrative work, so you're not really using your brain a whole lot. 
And luckily I had at that time in my senior year. So I kind of missed the boat. A lot of people in their sophomore or junior year in the accounting world will start doing internships. They'll start uh, interviewing for firms. I didn't do all that because I was living the sweet life, right? Um, I was doing that and just not really looking too far ahead. Luckily, I had a, a, one of the great professors that I did have, I realized later, is because he had real life experience. He was, uh, um, I think at the time, he was still in one of the public accounting firms, uh, a very reputable firm. And so he had actual on the street uh, experience and knowledge. And so, and his personality was great. And we connected very well because uh, to this day, uh, I remember his nickname for me because also in college is when I started getting into lifting weights. I was literally 100 pounds out of high school. Um, not, not exaggerating. I was about five foot, five foot seven, hundred pounds. I'm now five foot eight, probably about one ninety five. But at the time, you know, uh, uh, just playing computer games, not really giving a shit about my health. Quit cold turkey. Got a gym membership. Started getting heavily into the gym scene. Over almost too much. I was lifting seven days a week. I was playing tennis six days a week for hours. But, you know, back then, like it was the jug of water scene. So you always had to walk around <laughs> campus, with, like the gallon jug. So his nickname for me was Waterboy because I was the only dude in this accounting curriculum with, by the way, you know, I had long hair in college as well, right? No. So I'm a metalhead. And so at the same time, growing my hair out super long. And so I look like this guy who should be selling weed like down the hallway. Um, <laughs> back, you know, weed wasn't legal in the state of California yet. And so I got hit up all the time. But for people to like, hey, dude, you got anything? I was like, no, nah, man, I'm a, I'm a business major. And like. I just happened to work out. And so the professor kind of like took, took an eye to me and also to, uh, I took a little pride in, I would sit in the back, I'd wear my metal shirts, but I'd also set the curve not to like sound like a complete asshole, but I wanted to be that guy who was like, dude, this guy barely shows up in time and like almost falls asleep in class. But yet he like sets the curve. And cause I, I tried really hard in the back end. I just didn't want people to know that at the time. Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time studying. I'm not the smartest guy at all, but I didn't realize at the time what I was doing was I was employing a growth mindset without even understanding that concept just yet. Mm -hmm. um, because I would stay up all night and trying to get this. For some reason, I valued good grades. I don't know where that came from. Um, but I was like, well, I have to have to try and I have to at least put a lot of hours into studying because I wasn't getting things right away. I wasn't a natural talent um, in that case. That was long gone after maybe high school math where I was a natural talent. But college, I really had to to bust my butt from a studying perspective. And so um, luckily this professor said, hey, man, like you don't you didn't do any of the interviews. You didn't internship. I'm like now he's like in two days, there is a job fair uh, in the accounting world. They call it meet the firm. So all the public accounting firms come together. There's like 30 or 40 of them. Uh, I think it's annually or semi-annually. And they basically it's perfect for the students to get to know all the firms and you hand resumes. And I'm like, OK, the, the professor goes, do you have a suit? I said, no, we'll get a suit. Okay. Um, do you have a resume? I said, no. I was like, build your resume. I was like, okay. And I was like, okay, if I could do all this in 48 hours, I'll go to this stupid little job fair. So I got the resume. I got this suit that was tailored from men's warehouse. It's still way too big, but I go. Um, and I didn't know what the hell the protocol was. I just had a stack of my resume. I was handing it out to everybody. I was like, Hey, is there any openings? They're like, yeah, we're all here because we have openings. <laughs> like, oh, okay. oh yeah. Yeah. All right. But I'll, I'll take like, what do you want? I was like, well, what do you have? I'll take whatever job you have tax audit. I don't give a shit. I'll like clean the bathrooms. Like just give me a job. Mm -hmm. So fast forward through all that. I, I land with a, a, a firm's called PwC. I'm not sure if you, you've heard of them. Pricewaterhouse. They're 
they're the ones who screwed up the Oscars a few years ago. Uh, I don't know if you remember that. Uh, <laughs> I vaguely do. Yeah. So that was fantastic. Um, but anyways, they, they're, they're kind of a big deal in that world. Uh, they call it the big four. So they're one of the big four firms. I large. And I really did not belong there. I mean, I had the long hair still going into the, to these interviews. And even when I started the firm, I still had the long hair, but luckily I learned really early on uh, the value of, of, of someone who actually like you have some common interest with. So most of these people, I just could not relate at all. Like, I don't think anyone were really metalheads. I don't think anyone really lifted. Right. Um, but I stumbled upon PwC because these two guys, um, Ron and Tim, I always remember them. They, they approached me because I had this hair and they're like, what is your deal? They, the first thing they asked me was like, Hey man, do you sing in a band, band or anything? Cause we need a singer. And I was like, <laughs> no, I'm not really talented at all, but like I'm intrigued now. And we talked for about half an hour, nothing related to accounting, all about Metallica, all about just things in general. And he's like, and then I asked, well, what firm are you at? They're like PwC is like, whoa, you guys aren't supposed to be this cool. And, you know, you're supposed to be like this super business Mongol. And and, mm-hmm. whatnot. and so the value of networking, I, I learned very, <clears throat> very early on. So they, they basically helped me through the whole process. And then, and then I got in. So, so that started hey, off my business, business career. Yeah. So I want to just go back in your professor who actually, you said that's something that's really important that I feel like a lot of professors or at least the ones I've experienced too missed is that the actual real world experience. Yeah, man. So many professors and teachers and faculty, they just, they're in high school, they go to college, they go to grad school, then they go to get a doctorate and then they're just still in the academic. Field. Oh, we had those, right? Right, they write, and, they write a book, and they love to push the book on you. It's like ah, but you didn't actually. You're talking about how you're teaching me how to do something you've never did. It's like someone. It's like someone. It's it's the practitioner versus the researcher in like the fitness world, right? You'll have the dude who's in the lab coat, super gnarly with with uh, muscle biopsies, and yeah, your right quad is fast twitch, your left. So you should train this way, and you look at him or her. And you're like, you don't look like you've ever lifted in your entire life. Yeah. How are you going to tell me to squat 300 pounds? You can't squat your own body weight, uh, but you're telling me what rep sets and you know how often to do it. You're like, mm, get a little bit of street cred first, and then maybe yeah. I don't care what your PhD says. Um, and so you're absolutely right, especially in, in scholastic settings. And I'm not sure if that's just – I think it goes for any school, right? Like whether it's a big time so. university or, or even a, a California. And in fact, maybe even a Cal State probably has more real world people because it's you don't need a PhD to, to teach there. You, you just I think at certain at the most, you might need a master's or you might need like 10 years of experience as a CPA. And then you could and then you could teach like a part time accounting class. I think that's what this this guy was doing. I don't know if he had a master's, but he had at least 10 years. And I was like. Whoa! I learned more from this guy than the older dude who's super smart from a from a test taking perspective. Like, I, I remember this guy's. If, if anyone's listening who went to Cal State Fullerton, you guys will know who Paul Foot is. I'm just going to throw him out there because I, I hope he's still alive. He was old when I went there, um, so I don't mean any ill will if, he, if he's now deceased. But he was old when I was there, and this was uh, I graduated in 08. So you're talking almost you know 12 years ago, right? But his tests were like. 10 to 12 questions, you either get it all right or all wrong. And so like the passing grade, the curve was like four out of 10, five out of 10. Like, well, this is, this doesn't make any sense. How are we going to learn this way? 
Yeah. And and he just, but he, that's what's his stick. He just, you know, the classic example of just really uh, uh, likes to hear himself talk, uh, um, thinks it's just his way or no way and is trying to just outsmart students. Yes. You're you're smarter than us. We get it. But can't, what can you paying? I'm paying thousands of dollars to learn from you. I'm not trying to outsmart you. Correct. I'm giving you money and the uh, school money so I can learn. So I can get a paper that says I learned and then I can get a job. We know the whole academic system is, is a tough one, right? We both listen to guys like Gary Vee and, and and stuff like that. And Tom Billia is like, Mm -hmm. I think their take on academics is, is right. It's like, uh, sure. Depending on your profession, you may not need it. But maybe it's also a good idea if you don't know, just to, just go to JC, just just do something, start trying right. different things, and but don't also get discouraged if you don't do well. I mean, Mark Bell talks it all the time. You know, he had a learning disorder, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, don't don't kick yourself if you're not air quotes smart from a GPA perspective because we know that means jack shit in the real world. Um, sometimes you just got to do what it takes to get that piece of paper and then move on and, and, not, and not dwell on it and and, and just. Actually, the more we kind of look back, we get a little upset. It's like, man, if I if I had sort of this mindset now, I would have demanded more from my professors, right? I would have demanded more from the curriculum. I would have looked at the the uh, what's the uh, not the what's the first thing you get the, the syllabus the, syllabus. There you go. I don't even know what the hell uh, and go. Um, how does this tie into what I'm going to do two years from now when I'm working? Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you bridge that gap for me? Um, in the accounting world, it's debits and credits. Yes, you need to know that baseline. And I still remember, unfortunately, to this day, debits and credits. But beyond that, can you? how do I work in a team? How, how do I communicate to my boss, to my clients, to my subordinates? How do I deal with stress? How do I deal with deadlines? How do I you know, do these things? How do I even dress? How do I interview? Um, and, and luckily, when I got into uh, the accounting firm, I, uh, I actually knew within – the first two weeks that I did not want to do this, I wanted to quit. I called my then girlfriend, like in the middle of my lunch break. I was like, I'm not even going to walk back to the conference room. Um, so to back up real quick, how, how the project sort of worked, I wasn't in a traditional like accountant behind a desk at a company at the same desk um, for my nine to five. Mm-hmm. We were doing audits and stuff. So we would be mobile and we'd go to our client site and then we'd sort of park ourselves in a conference room and have our laptops. And it's just like a depressing, <laughs> it's just a depressing scene. You got anywhere from like four to 12 people in the same room. And, and, and hopefully you have a friend there, but it's like, you could hear my stomach growl. Right. And, and it's like, man, this is stressful just being in here. And you're afraid mm-hmm. to ask questions. You're afraid to, you just pretend that you're working when you have no idea what the hell you're doing. At least that's what I did for, yeah. <laughs> for a while. Um, so then we would break for lunch. Lunch was always the best part of my day because, of course, you get the hell out of the office. You could go outside, SoCal, so hopefully the sun's out and I get to eat, more importantly. But coming back in, I let everyone kind of go first. I stayed out in the hallway and I just sort of like the hallway just – I remember it, it just narrowed. And, and like you had that tunnel vision. I was like you get this pit in your stomach to the point where – and I, I'm hungry all the time, bro – I was feeling nauseous. I did. I couldn't even take a sip of water. It's like this isn't what I thought. This is supposed to be my air quotes career, right? Not a job. Mm-hmm. My, for my career for the next 40, 50 years, and you ride off in the sunset. And I realized within two weeks, like this is far from it. What the hell do you do? So emotionally, I literally called my girlfriend. And I was like, 
I'm not even going to tell them to quit. I'm not even going to go back into the conference room. Like, I want to run away. I want to get in my car, run away, never look back, and then I'll figure it out. I don't remember what she told me, but it was probably along the lines of, like, don't do that, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. But that was the first thing that sparked my brain, like, oh, this may not be it, dude. What are you going to do? So, you know, I had to start looking outwardly and going, okay, what what do I want to do? I don't even know what I want to do. And I just I just knew it initially. I was like, hey, you've been here for two weeks. You haven't earned a damn thing. Right. This is sort of backed in where I'm on the tail end of being a, a millennial uh, and millennials get a bad rap. If you've seen the Simon Sinek, uh, you know, Tom Bilyeu thing, mm-hmm. um, it's really not a millennial problem. But it was what I had to catch myself was, OK, am I just overreacting? What have you really earned? And it was nothing. I, I don't I don't know what I don't know yet. So I was like, hey, like, just put your head down, get through it. We'll figure this stuff out. But like, you need to pay your bills. So stop being a little bitch and, and, and then do it. Okay, but that, that spawned a long sort of process of figuring stuff out and, and um, got me to where I am today. And at that point, you just knew it wasn't this, at least long term. You're just like, you said within two weeks, you're like, this is not two it. Weeks. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, whatever, whatever this job is, it's not this. Like, this is not it. No, it's not it. You look around, you're like, I see people that are, that are out of shape, that are stressed, that are balding, which, you know, balding doesn't have much to do with that, but sometimes it does. And and just not prioritizing health. I just knew that early on. And health at that point was still more, a little more aesthetics for me. I was still trying to get, you know, bigger as a guy and, and jacked and whatnot. Um, but it started morphing into more of a mental uh, health uh, awareness was like, my brain and my mental health isn't right. I need to get in the gym. I need to unleash some of this stuff and that'll help me sort of cope with these things. So it transitioned from physical, like mainly physical to then kind of more of that, that spectrum of like, okay, it's probably 70, 30 mental at this point I've achieved, you know, I will always be striving for better in, in physical and mental state. But at that point it became less important to get the, I don't know, what are big arms, 20 inch arms or whatever. The, for me, it was yeah. mainly aesthetics. I didn't even discover strength yet. So I had no strength goals uh, at the time. Um, but what that led me to start doing was, okay, you know, I took a look around, I took stock of who was around me and I'm like, I don't have very much in common with these folks. So you probably should look into something else. And I remember there was a guy, so I, so fast forward a couple of years, I like, Got reluctantly got my CPA because they made you at the firm. You get a little bonus, but if you don't get it within three years, you get fired. So I was like, "Fuck! I'll just get my CPA." Uh, but I'll like I'll cram for it. It's four. It's a four part test. I was like, "Look, if I don't pass one of these tests, then I'm going to quit. Then it's not meant to be." Uh, but I'll just cram and get the piece of paper and then and then you know move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember I was in the middle of that, and this one of my um, uh, managers, I'll call him that, he looked at me and he goes, "Yeah, dude, you don't." really fit in here have you <laughs> <laughs> and i was like oh thanks um he's like have you looked into the fbi i was like what do you mean he goes you know special agent i'm like no dude i'm not i don't have a military background law enforcement background what are you talking about he goes dude they hire like a third of their buckets of special agents is from accounting it's cpas it's cpas it's lawyers and it's military slash law enforcement background and plus like the fourth might be more um language if you know if you know a lot of language and then computer it stuff okay. i was like really they hire a bunch of nerds to to go in there and it's like well yeah but you have also the physical aspect and i was like dude that's perfect combines the sort of the um auditing nature and investigative investigatory nature that we have in, in the line of work that i was doing you're using your um uh kind of more of the the qualitative analysis and, and things of that nature 
plus the physical side. I was like, dude, that sounds great. Like that, that seems like it'd be a great route. And so I got really consumed with that goal. Kind of. And when I say kind of is it sounded great because he told me I'd be a great fit. I never really truly looked internally and go, do I really want this? Like I don't have anyone in my immediate family or my friends at the time that had anything, anything tied with the military or with law enforcement. And I had a couple, but I wasn't in, in, um, they weren't in my inner circle. So I really had no one in my family and they're all bookworms. I was like, dude, I, I don't know that I, that I want this, but it just seemed like I would be the good fit versus them being a good fit for me. Because a authority figure told you you'd be a great fit. So then right. you're like, cool, anything yep. is better than this right now. Let's go this route instead. Cause it's not here. Yeah, man. And, and that like, that became my, my, my carrot down the line. It became my North star and I ended up staying at the firm for about seven and a half years. So you fast forward from like wanting to quit for two weeks. And in fact, I, this is not really a feat, but it just kind of gives you context on the timeline. When I started the firm, you know, we, everyone kind of starts uh, like you have a class, right? A lot of people are coming from different colleges and we all start, it's almost like college. We all like, we're the freshmen coming in and we're the new hires. Hmm. And I must've had between a couple of different departments, probably 30 to 40 of us all started at the same time back in 08. And I was the last one to survive. Like, like mm. the one it, in the first year I would be voted off the Island first. Cause like I was under, I was underperforming because these people at this firm are just big sharks. They're, they're, they're very, very smart people. And I was like, Holy crap. And they're hardworking. So I could no longer for the most part outwork people. I mean, I was trying, I would get into the office. One of my clients, uh, we had 24 seven badge access access. I would get in at three in the morning the lights wouldn't even come on because they were all like, uh, they were all timed and they wouldn't come on until like 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. And so the security guards would walk by with their flashlights and like, hey, I'm just, you know, you my laptop. I'm like, I'm just here doing extra work. They're like, okay, get in at three, leave at like seven or eight when everyone else is gone because I needed all that extra time to try to figure out what the hell I was doing. Oh, and by the way, I didn't bill any of that time. So no one kind of knew I was doing that. So we, we worked oh. on billable hours, right? So think mm-hmm. of a lawyer, uh, you work a case, it's eight hours, you bill eight hours. Well, I was there for whatever, 12 to 15 hours, but I would bill eight hours because I was like spinning my wheels and trying to figure this shit out because I wasn't as inherently talented as some of these folks coming in. Uh, and then fast forward seven and a half years, I was the last one to kind of leave the company. So, okay. So career, my friend. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know any of this and me and David (laughs) have known each other for a couple of years, but it was mostly just gym talk and um, it's really cool just to do these episodes, stuff like this, actually talk about real shit and not just, oh, bro, what's your bench PR, bro? Uh, Oh, how was that set? How was that last set? Oh yeah. You could have went up. uh, You see far like ultra extreme. Yeah. Right. Um, so before we move on to the career stuff, one thing I want to go back on again, because college is just so topical because a lot of people do it. I just loved how you said, I learned all the subject matter expert stuff, but you didn't learn anything about how to be an adult and like how to navigate your job and your career, your health, your, your needs and wants of how to work within a team how to even ask for salary, what I should do in promotions and all of that. They don't teach any of that, man. It's mind boggling. 
Yeah, there almost needs to be like, okay, sure, you might do a group project and you got to work air quotes as a team, but you know how that works. Like one person is going to take over, do 80% of the work and you just sort of tag in, or maybe you're that one person who does 80% of the work and like, shit, hey man, read this, don't screw it up. Um, or can you at least like do this? Um, you have a communications class, but okay, you, you do what, a couple a couple of um, um, talks in front of the class, but it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't do much. You know, no. and what I liked about the firm that I was at and other firms, too, they all do this. So they they do they have a department called recruiting and the recruiting is is directly responsible for helping the students land the internships, land the full time gigs. But also we hosted certain things. One thing was interviewing. So mock interviews and let's look at your resume. And I, I enjoyed the hell out of that because I was learning or using what I learned at that point, you know, a few years into the industry to this person, let's also face it, most of the accounting folks, especially if you're on the tax side, don't have a personality worth of shit. Or they do, but they're just super scared. They're they're introverted as all hell. And, you know, I, I still remember to this day, um, I was the, I was mock interviewing someone or the whole entire students that I had for the day. I always started with the first question was, hey, just tell me about yourself. And 99% of the time they go, well, I went to school here. My GPA is this. I'm also in school here. I'm part of this club. I'm like, Okay, no, no, no. Like, tell me about yourself. You know, you. What do you do? Do you eat food? Do you like hamburgers? Do you like? Do you play sports? Do you, like, I see your resume. I see your 4.0 GPA. I see you, whatever. But tell me something that's not on the sheet of paper. Because guess what? These firms and, and other jobs out there have stacks of these resumes. And unfortunately, a lot of the names too. You probably have the same name as someone. Um, <laughs> So good luck trying to stand out. Like you got to put something either in your resume, make it look, make it look different, make a certain impression during these job fairs. Like I didn't even know at the time, but that long hair, oh my goodness. I think I had my goatee, even not as long as it is now, but I had something where if, if I felt they didn't remember me, I'd be like, Hey, I'm the guy with the long hair. That's how I started every sort of email. And they're like, Oh yeah, I remember you. That's it. So you don't need long hair if you're a dude, but you just you need that one thing that you connected with whoever that potential interviewer is and go, hey, remember we talked about the Lakers or whatever the heck it was and you mm-hmm. make it real personal. And so that's what I was trying to more so than like, hey, when you interview, you should talk about your strengths. I was trying to give them something that they could use that would give them the edge over other students. Um, so I really enjoyed those recruiting efforts because uh, it felt I do like <laughs> I do like the teaching aspect of things. So that allowed me, even though it was an industry that I didn't like, it allowed me to explore that route and to actually teach some folks and pass on some, some knowledge. I always got a, 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 um, a really good thrill out of doing that. Killer, man. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm glad you got that opportunity too. So you got to mentor and coach people about the interviews and resumes and their career a little bit. Did that, and maybe you didn't know at the time, but maybe looking back, if you reflect for a second, is that how you got back into personal training? Maybe is you wanted to work with people like that? I think so, man. So, so yeah, I, I could talk for freaking hours and we can't even get out of college, but like I will uh, fast forward a little bit when I, when I, so in the accounting firm, I then moved to Belgium for the firm. I was like, I was done. I was over it, but this was a sort of a new opportunity, blah, blah, blah. So I ended up moving over there. I tried to get into the government for about six years. And of course it's the government. So the process was long and tedious and I got very close with the DEA and secret service, and FBI, IRS, 
all of them to a certain point ended up disqualifying me. And I won't get into any of that now because it's too long of a story, but I was, I was very close and it wasn't anything crazy. Like I didn't pretty sure I haven't killed anybody. Um, pretty sure. <laughs> so, so my record is squeaky clean. Um, it's just, it's really hard. Okay. Um, I've, I've done polygraph tests, passed them all. I've done ex- extensive background tests, passed them all. But in the end, you still need to get the green light. And I never got the green light. So I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to move to a different country. I always wanted to do something like that. At that point, um, I was traveling a lot. So I got really into traveling internationally. And I don't know what the number is, but it's 30 or 40 countries. Not a big deal. But other than the fact that I am super th- thankful and grateful for my f- that firm that I was at because I never would have gone to some of these countries or, or even the, some of the, the regular names like Japan and whatnot. I never would have really gone there. I, I didn't know traveling was could be that great. And even though I was working a lot, it at least exposed me to the different cultures, more importantly, the food because I'm a big food guy. Um, but, the, but the cultural uh, stuff really started unlocking different parts of my brain that I didn't, I didn't know existed at the time. And I'm not saying everyone needs to freaking travel the world, but I do think you need to explore somewhere, whether that's going from Sacramento to even San Diego, right? Like just go somewhere and then maybe expand if you like. If you don't, you don't need to be that person who brags about how many countries they've been to, but, but at least try. And, and so I was like, Hey, this is great to visit, but how would it be like to live somewhere? Like actually live abroad and somewhere, especially where I actually, didn't choose Belgium. It, they kind of was the only one that had the opening. And my boss at the time, like no one, ex- no one applied for this position. He goes, Hey man, you'd be good for this. So I was like, okay. And I air quotes apply. He's like, yeah, you're the only one. So I uh, probably have a good chance of getting this. I was like, okay. <laughs> uh, and so I ended up getting it, go figure. And I actually took a 50 or 60% pay cut to go over there because the Europeans, at least in that country get paid garbage for what I do relatively speaking in our firm. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's okay. I'm there for the experience. Like it's going to be just different. Let's just go. Uh, and I go there and uh, there's a whole other stories that go on there, but I go there and then within about five weeks of finally finding my own place and, and settling in and all my stuff kind of shipped over there I get a call and an email from Homeland Security saying, hey, like you're in. You just need to <laughs> come back, take a drug test and a physical, and you're good to go. And I'm like, this can't be right because they've already disqualified me. And in and, and the government, you could also, or in also in law enforcement, you could do what's called a, an appeal. So you could write an appeal and be like, hey, I know you disqualify me, but here are the reasons why I believe I should be still accepted. And so I wrote that. I wrote, I put a lot of effort into that. Didn't hear back from them. So I was like, fuck it. I'm gone. I'm going to Belgium, the land of great beer and fries. And by the way, I've never <laughs> even been to Belgium before. I just moved yeah. there. Uh, I've been to like <laughs> Amsterdam, Germany, and France. I was like, well, if it's if it's anything like this, I'll be fine. And it was. Um, I would still choose maybe the other three countries before Belgium, but that's another that's another time. And I was like, okay. So I finally called them and I was like, this can't be right. She's like, well, you're I see nothing in your file file about a disqualification and an appeal, but you just need to do these two things and you're in. And I was like, so, but what you're telling me is though there's still a risk. I can still not get it because I could, and I don't, I didn't do drugs at the time. I don't do drugs now, but I definitely didn't do drugs back then. And I was like, okay, well, if something was to happen, like, let's say I just, I'm doing this physical and I like, I tear my ACL and I can't finish the lap. Like I could potentially not have a job. She's like, yes. It's like, Okay. I quit. I quit the firm the next day. Um, one reason why I did choose Belgium too was I had already met the head guy there, and he spent a 
couple of decades in the Belgium equivalent of the FBI. So I knew if anyone could have any empathy and understand what I was trying to do, he would. And he's a great guy, uh, Rudy. He's a fantastic individual. And so when I told him, he's like, I get it, but you'll be back. You know, he said it with kind of a smirk. And I was like, all right, no, no worries. But there's no, no ill will. Um, you know, there, there's, I, I'd never, I don't want to say never, but for the most part, I've never burned any bridges. And so we walked away and, and I, I went to California and I slept on the couch in my cousin's place for a couple of weeks, did the test. And I got into uh, Customs and Border Protection and and that led me up to the Bay Area. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we did that, oh, um, got us to the Bay Area because I was stationed in the San Francisco airport. But before that, had a past four and a half months of training in Georgia. And then we got shipped back to, to port mm-hmm. in San Francisco. Quick message from one of my sponsors, Anchor. Anchor is the platform I use to host my podcast on. It is so free and so easy to use. As a chronic overthinker and over-researcher, I usually over-analyze everything before making a decision. Anchor was a clear choice for me and helped my podcast get off the ground quickly. It'll distribute your podcast for you so your audience can listen on their favorite platform like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You do not need fancy equipment or software. You can literally record and edit podcasts within the app on your phone or computer. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership required. If you've been wanting to start your own podcast, I highly encourage you to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. So, wow, that's crazy. That is bizarre. So how long do wait, how long did you end up staying in Belgium? I know it's a brief time, but less than three months, man. Damn. And, and, and you know the sad part was I they have strong um, um, real estate laws in favor of the lessor. So the the guy who owned the place, I had to pay him five months worth of rent to break the lease because so I had just signed a lease. I could have said just fuck you, I'm out, dude. I'm never coming back here. But I was like, well, I'm going to work for the government. I probably need a clean slate. Like, I can't have yeah. a record. So it's like, that's fine. Just give him back. And he didn't give me any remorse, the asshole. Like, I, st- I will still remember his face. If I see him walking down the street and I yeah. punch him. But I was like, you know, whatever. I, I don't care, you know. So it was less than three months. Didn't really get the experience of living abroad, to be honest. You know, I was mm-hmm. working a lot. Had just found the place. But, but as I was settling in, literally the boxes I just unpacked, I repacked them. Yeah. And, and then wow. back to the States. Back to the States, San Diego for a bit, Georgia, then SF. So you're stationed there. And so what is like your job? What what do you do there in SF at, <laughs> you know for customs guys, and stuff? You know the guys who look at your passport when you come back to the States? Yeah. How was that asshole? Uh, and, and nothing against them, right? Uh, there's some, there, there are some good people, believe it or not, that are doing that job. But for the most part, it's a very it's a very thankless uh, job that in particularly San Francisco was just ran very poorly. And I knew that also within two weeks, like, Oh, this isn't very good. Um, yeah. I may have made a mistake, but I'm here for another six months at least to get past probation. And then I'll figure it out. So mm-hmm. that's what I started doing. I was there with a good friend. So it helped that I was going with, uh, we developed into a good friendship and, and we lived together. So it helped that we were kind of going through the same aches and pains and, uh, but he comes from a military background, so he had a little different perspective. And see, I had options, right? Like I could pick up the phone call today, not to sound like a you know dick, but like I told my buddies, like I could, I could quadruple my income in one phone call and get the hell out of here and like you know whatever. But I was like, well, no, you signed up for this, you left the country for this, like just just freaking do it. Yeah. And started getting into it, and you know the work itself 
whatever. But it was the, I was looking for something more. I wanted to be part of something bigger than myself. And I realized early on, shit, it's not the case, at least where I was at. Everyone's still out for themselves for the most part. They're there to collect a paycheck, even though you're suited up in a full law enforcement gear with with your uh, bulletproof vest on and a loaded weapon. Um, yes, it's the airport, so it's not as risky, right? People are coming off flights, but no one really gave a shit. And I also didn't trust more than half of them to, to have my back if I got in the scuffle because a lot of them looked like they couldn't even put their shoes on without huffing and puffing. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, we were supposed to develop a brotherhood, and to be honest, yeah. I didn't really get that. And that's what I was searching for when I when I chose – or didn't choose, but just wanted to join a law enforcement setting. Because you, you read about it, and it is true for different departments, you know, for FBI or, or whatever, and an army and stuff like that. But it, it's like any other job, like even Google. If you're not in a good department and have a good team, it's going to suck. Like all the mm-hmm. food here is great. But I, I had a client, and it was more of a therapy session. You know, she was miserable. And, and, and I just felt so bad because you're in this, gr- air quotes, great company with all these perks and benefits, but yet you're still getting shit on and, and you're super stressed for what? Like you are one small peg, if that. You're, you're, not, you're, you're, a, you're a tiny ant in this giant machine that literally if you die in a tragic accident, no one's going to give a shit at all. Google stock stays the same. Your team, you know, everything kind of moves on. And it's like, this is not a good way to live, in my opinion. So when I chose law enforcement, I was looking for that, right? Again, took a pay cut <laughs> to, to yeah. something bigger. And the nature of being up here to fast forward to how I got in the training was like, oh, man, you know, I thought about training and fitness industry when I was in Belgium. And I was kind of looking at myself in the mirror. I didn't have any friends uh, where I was at. They mainly spoke French. So I was like, I couldn't really talk to anybody. And it's like, man, I've been passionate about fitness for a long time. Why don't you you know, talk, talk to myself. Why don't, why don't you do something? I literally was mm-hmm. recording it. I was recording a video of myself and I wish I could find it, but um, I was like giving myself self-therapy at the time. I didn't even know it. And, um, and and right when I said that, that's when the government calls. So then I put that in the back burner again. But as I was sort of figuring out maybe a couple months in being back in San Francisco that this is not for me in terms of law enforcement, like, what are you going to do now? Like, you better do the fitness thing. There's, there's no mm-hmm. other choice. I'm not going back to accounting just yet. And just happens to be up in the tech area. I'm like, why don't I just work for Google as a personal trainer? Like, fucking accounting. I didn't know how it worked. I didn't know Excel existed. I don't know how this all worked, but I was like, dude, I'll just go there, get the same perks, but I'll actually do something I love. Um, that actually would let me up to meeting you in super training. So when I, I quit my job cold turkey, I didn't have anything lined up, but I was like, I need to get certified. But I knew because I didn't have a kinesiology degree, I knew I had to get the best cert that was possible. And everyone says the CSCS is the best one. I was like, all right, mm-hmm. up for that. I'm like, shit, this is kind of a lot of work. Um, I was living with two other dudes at the time. So I was like, and then I saw that post by either Silent Mike or, or Marcus was like, hey, we're having spots available in this class. I was like, oh, shit, hell yeah. And, and I, and I you know, emailed whatever it was. And it's like, well, you're in Sacramento four days a week or whatever it was, right? I was like, shit, mm-hmm. I don't want to make this drive. I drive a leased vehicle. So let me uh, – I just got an Airbnb and I rented it out for like two months. Holy so shit. At one point I was paying double rent to live in fucking uh, – I was at Foster City over here and then Sacramento, West <laughs> – making no money and then studying for the CSCS while learning. That was really the first time that I actually went into, one, a real powerlifting gym. Two, understanding what the hell strength even is. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot going on when, when, when I met you um, in terms of just my what I thought I had knowledge-wise in the fitness industry, completely different than I, than I walked into. 
Absolutely, yeah. I, I, you'd mentioned some of these things in like passing and like small right. little bits and pieces, but never really knew the whole deal because you also don't really just open up to people like that, especially no. in like a gym setting where we're just men lifting and whatever. Actually, to be uh, honest, we were just trying to make sure we didn't upset Marcus, right? We're like, hey, like <laughs> how do we spot? Like, it was, it was, it was a, it was a weird environment. It's not like what you and I'm not knocking them, but when you look at Instagram and YouTube, like, oh shit, it's gonna be great. It is if you're part of the team. Yeah. Right? And it makes sense right now. Understanding is like, okay, you have to earn your spot on the team. Sure. But like, I was like, Hey, we're paying money to be here for a two hour window. You would think we would get a little more whatever. Um, but I won't dive into that. But it was more like, shit, like, I don't want to piss anybody off. I don't want to drop a plate. Like, is this not allowed? Like, so I was yeah. being very cautious of like, Hey man, like how do we spot? And, um, and cause, cause I didn't have, I didn't intern with Jesse Burdick just yet. So that happened after. Mm-hmm. So I, I wish right. I would have had Jesse beforehand cause I would have known a lot more, but you know, you walk in and you're like, okay, cool. I'm just going to learn this stuff. Like, no, no, you're learning, you're learning the entire um, uh, environment and, and how this all sort of works. So I was like, Oh, mm-hmm. great. I know nothing about this industry. I, I, <laughs> you know, I knew early on, I was like, okay, yeah, I don't know shit. You know, my little routine of, uh, well, uh, probably probably chest tries, you know, for for like the last twelve years is not going to cut it. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a whole different ball game. Powerlifting is, it's a sport, but but like people who do other sports use our sport as training, right? <laughs> so it's just kind of interesting that like that's our whole sport. Yeah, man, it's a whole thing, and, and like I. So I don't, I don't, I've never really called myself a power lifter. I've done the power lifting movements, right? But I, I have never competed. So if you're in the gym setting, everyone's going to shit on me and go like, oh, you, you know, you're not a power lifter. Great. I've never called myself a power lifter, but I've interned at a powerlifting gym, uh, learned from one of the best. And I understand, I understand with some of the friends that I made at uh, CSA in Dublin, uh, where Jesse is, mm-hmm. um, at PowerWatt, I understand why people compete. And so I never really understood it before. And I was like, this is dumb. Like you're just up there, you're lifting this thing three times. Okay. Big, big fucking deal. Well, wearing a singlet. Well, yeah. Well, well, whatever this thing is called. And like your nuts are showing. You're like, God damn it. This, uh, this doesn't seem right. Mm-hmm. But I started realizing a lot of different things. One, I mean, you got people that like, it's either this or it's hard drugs. Right. Um, two, it's uh, yeah therapy. Three, it actually is competition. So whether you, you are going for a world record or you're not. You're competing with yourself and, and you are you are um, tapping into, I think, especially as well, any individual who played sports, male or female. I played a lot of team sports. And so when you when you don't play team sports anymore, like what are you going to do? You're not going to just take up. Uh, uh, I don't know what an individual sport would be. It's like tennis, maybe, you know, at least there's only one other person. But like very hard to get that same competitiveness uh, if, if that's part of your nature out. And, right. And then when you go to the gym setting, it's like, okay, either you do Olympic weightlifting or weightlifting, or I understood why people took competing very seriously because there is a prep to it. There is a, uh, there's a performance side, obviously there's, there's, you know, you're, you're not just eating and training for aesthetics. You're doing it with a purpose, with a goal in mind. And so I was like, okay, that's cool. Still, <laughs> honestly, still not for me, but uh, come over a team guy. So I actually would love, I'm not sure if these exist, but I would love like a team powerlifting event where, you know, I will do bench because it's the only thing I'm kind of halfway good at still to this day in my, in my older age. But like, yeah, Matt, you do deadlift and we'll get, we'll get John over here to do the squat and, and, and kind of get a little bit like, Hey, these are our best lifts. We're going to put our best foot forward and just kind of and see what happens. That's, that's where I kind of like a little bit of the CrossFit, 
uh, stuff. Uh, don't get me on to CrossFit, but just from that perspective, they've done whether you like them or hate them, because you either like them or hate them. Uh, they've hammered home the aspect of community and, and, and teamwork better than, better than anybody else, probably at times to a fault, right? Because now it's like that community is getting behind someone doing the shittiest uh, snatches, like they shouldn't be doing anything overhead, right? But hey, like they're freaking in there and they're busting their butt and everyone is supportive. Like how can you not like that aspect? Mm-hmm. So. So you interned at uh, Jesse Burdick's in CSA, and for most people listening, uh, probably don't know who that is, but he's a prominent, uh, was lifter, now coach, um, and main proponent in the strength and powerlifting scene uh, for decades now. Uh, Dublin's actually right next door to where I'm living now, um, so I need to go. Are you that close? Yeah, I'm in, I'm in uh, Livermore. So oh, dude. Yeah. I should... I should be. Uh, I should hit up Jesse and like go train there. Sometime. Hit me uh, up. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, link you up with all those guys. So, okay, yeah. Um, so you intern at Je- for Jesse. So what is what did interning? Uh, kind of just generally, what did that entail? So I want to like actually touch on a little bit of how I even got that internship because I definitely should not have gotten that. I, I I'm super grateful for Jesse for allowing me to be by his wayside and like go into that gym. Cause again, I was not a powerlifter. Yeah. I had what two months of super training, but never call myself a powerlifter. He could also look at me and probably determine like, all right, this kid's probably not a powerlifter, but because I didn't have a job, I was on Instagram a lot. And then Jesse actually had a, at noon or around noon. Um, I'm not sure if he did it every day at the time, but he did a live story or, you know, a live Instagram. And I was listening. I was like, who is this guy? I didn't even know who Jesse was, right? Not a lot of people do know, but he's the mastermind behind a lot of Mark Bell stuff, especially the podcast side, especially even their programming. Um, so mm-hmm. he And I love that part because he's the brains of the operation, but not a lot of people know. He's not in the glamour. He's not out there. And, and I think his live Instagram probably only had like a dozen or so people, maybe 20 at the most. And I was like, this is awesome because I think if I ask a question, he might actually answer it. Right. Versus like Gary V you got thousands or whatever the hell it is. Like there's not, he's not going to answer it. And, and so I just, I, I shot him a little question or, you know, a text on Instagram and said, Hey, like what advice would you give a new trainer? Cause I had just been certified. I'm this big certified CSCS. But like, what the hell do you do with that? And he goes, you should find an internship or a shadowing opportunity. I was like, why the hell did I even think of that? Cause that's what I would have done in business. So then I emailed Jesse. I'm like, Hey, do you have an internship available? And he goes, come on in. So I go on in. The first thing I remember is Jesse is fucking huge. He's a lot bigger than he looks. And this is also on his tailwind of like his career, right? Like he was heavyweight for a mm-hmm. while and whatnot. He's just a tall dude, a lot more athletic than a lot of people give him credit for. I mean, he played, I think, college. I think he was a college catcher, played college baseball, okay? So he, the guy can move well. There's a reason why he was in the first Supple Leopard book with Kelly Starrett because because. Because Jesse is probably one of the first powerlifters to incorporate mobility and recovery and actually take it seriously. Mm. And so I show up and I'm like, holy crap, I am way outside my my comfort zone. And and luckily, um, luckily, I think it was bench day. <laughs> and, and, and so, <laughs> so Jesse's like, hey, just go in there, work out, and we'll talk afterwards. I was like, okay. So I was just like, okay, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, network, say hello to everyone, everyone's, everyone's names. I remember seeing like Tiny Tiff. I was like, shit, I remember her from Instagram. Shit, she's strong and she is tiny. Um, I remember, who, I forget who else that I saw, but some big jack strong dudes. It's like, shit, okay, just don't break anything. 
uh, spot, help out, and and I forget what bench press it was, but I, I did something, and then and then I didn't really know it, but Jesse was obviously watching me. He was kind of watching how I interacted with everybody, and that's mainly what he was looking for, yeah. I believe. I, I never really talked to him about it, but I believe he was looking for more of that fit versus he didn't give a shit that I was a CSCS. He gave gave two shits that I was at the time 33 or 32 so i wasn't some punk kid but he did not care because i was still green i was green to the whole thing and i talked to him afterwards and i said hey jesse this is what i'm looking for man like i i, I need reps like i i need to start getting time under the bar i will obviously do it for free i will be here as much as you want i'll do anything i'll clean bathrooms i don't care because all right you're here these days um, to actually shadow with me. And then I want you to train at least Tuesday, Thursday, which was the heavy days. It was the max effort days. And I was like, Oh shit. Okay, let's do it. So that was the first time in my entire life. I actually went on a, a program and followed it. So I followed his programming um, to a T for the time that I was there. And I was there for about uh, two and a half to three months. And there wasn't, it wasn't a formal thing where I was like, Hey, just like, be there, spot people, help out, put stuff away, ask him questions. Once I got more comfortable, I mean, he was an opposing figure, still is, but I was definitely not mm-hmm. comfortable early on, like asking him these, like what I felt were super dumb questions. Um, and so the one thing I do regret is like, I wish I asked more questions. I just didn't ask enough, but I also didn't want to make, I, right. I didn't want to like put my footprint too much there. Like I was like, Hey, like I'm just here. You guys are doing me a favor. And I knew at the very end, like even his network would go a long way. Right. Whether I'm going to tap into that later or not, and I haven't really, but I just knew it's valuable to be in here. It's valuable to learn everyone's sort of stories and especially his. And so it was mainly just that it was helping out and um, kind of seeing how it all it all worked. How, how do you run a gym? How do you program for powerlifting? How do you even coach? Because I didn't even know what the difference was between coaching and personal training. At first, I was like, man, mm-hmm. Jesse sucks as a coach because he's not like over there watching every rep and like giving them cues. Yeah, because you, you can't. And when you got dozens of people in the gym, you can't do that. Um, but what he, what I, one of the things I learned was like, well, when I learned, I learned teamwork big time, and I thought I was going to get that at super training. I'm not sure how you feel about that, but we won't, we won't get into that. But I was like, teamwork, man. Like this is what I'm searching for. And when people got in for a big rep, whether it's a PR or not, whether you're deadlifting 150 pounds or you're deadlifting 850 pounds, like Jeremy does and more. Everybody stops for the most part, right? Gathers around, hypes you up, and you know someone's recording, someone's giving you shouting, and it's like for that like two seconds, five seconds, everyone stops, and and it's on you, and they're and they're genuinely interested in like, can you make this lift? Also, if you don't or you do, like getting some of that feedback, like how did it look? Blah blah blah. Should I go up? What jump should I take? And I was like, this is a true teamwork based gym it's an individual sport but there's aspects of teamwork that i do like so it, it was learning all of that from jesse which was super important um he actually also helped me with one of the main guys who was there um he ran at the time the 24-hour fitness in livermore as the fitness manager so he got me my first job as a trainer there and i swear i would never be back into a 24 um i used to work there a little bit as co- in college but Jesse's like, hey, man, like you need reps, right? What better way to, to train? Because you're going to train general population. I mean, you're not going to go in and train freaking this guy who's about getting ready for the NFL combine. So I was like, that's a good, that's yeah. a good point. So I got a lot of reps in that 24-hour fitness with gin pop and like fat loss goals that I haven't even personally dealt with myself. So I, I learned a lot through that. And so it was um, tremendous help. Awesome. So back to 24. Yep. 
you're training there for a while. How did you end up training people at Google now? And then what's that time window like? So the 24 was about six months. Um, I met uh, a guy, uh, another trainer there. His name is Joe. He, him and I went to a, a NSCA clinic and that's the NSCA is both our, is the national strength and conditioning, uh, conditioning association. That's the CSCS uh, governing board. And we just went to this one day, I think it was one day or maybe a two day clinic in uh, the, the Niner Stadium in Santa Clara. So it was really cool. It was cheap. Um, usually those things are several hundred dollars or whatever. It was like, I think a hundred bucks for two days. So Joe and I are there and we're in line for lunch of all things. And we hear this guy behind us talk about personal training at Google. I don't know why, but he did. And we turned around like, wait a minute, you got personal training at Google? Because to take a step back, I um, I asked Joe, because I was like, hey, Joe, like I'm trying to get into corporate fitness. Um, so just that, right, training at a, at a, at a corporate um, facility. And he had a mutual friend who is now actually my, technically my, one of my bosses. Her name is Hannah. So he put me in touch with Hannah. I was like, hey, Hannah, how, how does it all work? She's like, well, at the time she was uh, working for Exos, but in, at Intel. She was at a different company. She goes, mm. well, they don't really have any training, uh, but you have to come out as like a full-time coach, but you need a kinesiology degree. I was like, shit, that's not going to Right. So I kind of put it in the, I, I, um, I, uh, didn't think that was going to happen, but this random dude in this random clinic that we just happened to be at, it's like, no, you know, you have personal training at Google. It's a part-time gig. It's the only flaw, but you set your own hours, right? There's plenty of clients here. You don't do any selling. You eat all the food. And right then and there, like Joe, like, okay, you get free food. Like we're obviously in. <laughs> and so yeah, we both yeah. applied, I believe that day. And I remember because Joe actually got the got hired in the interview before I did. And my application kind of went dark. And I was like, there's no way Joe – like selfishly, I was like, there's no way Joe's getting in. I'm not fucking getting in. It was, it was my idea, dude. Yeah. And, but, but, yep. but the hiring guy just sort of like thought he hit sent on an email and didn't. So I, I, I reached out to him directly. I said, hey, man, like I just need to know an answer, yes or no. He goes, oh, shit. I thought uh -huh. we said, yeah, you know, we're going to interview. I was like, oh, thank goodness. And I actually got the job over the phone. It's really not that hard to get. It just, it's more about availability. Because, again, it's a part-time gig. It's nothing too crazy. But I started this uh, April of 2018. Um, and so I started 24, I don't know, about several months before that. So I've been here for a couple of years, for two years now. And that's how we sort of got in this gig. So I'm, I'm at the Google buildings. I'm at mainly YouTube as well, which is part of the Google family. But I also do freelance at the Apple uh, gyms because my ex-girlfriend at the time worked at Apple. She's like, hey, they have training here, but it's all um, – it's not through a third-party company. It's a perk for the employee to bring their own personal trainer on. But you got to get cleared by uh, you got to get cleared by Apple and whatnot. So she just pretended to use me as a trainer, and so I got into the <laughs> I got into the building, got a badge. But you don't get any of the perks. You don't get to eat there. You don't get to do anything other than train folks. That's all self generated uh, income. But that's been pretty good too, because obviously my rates freelance are way better. As you know, I mean they're way better than than working through a third party. But it's mm -hmm. a lot more volatile. It's just it's hard to kind of maintain a consistent basis, but I've been mainly doing right. those two things in the, in the training. Sweet. Dude, that's killer, man. Uh, I, I, I mean, it sounds way better than like the tumultuous last de few decades you went over yeah. of uh, these other careers. And you're finally finding like, it seems like the right path for you for now. Um, so you're training, uh, you're not still at 24 no. or are you? No. So just Google and, uh, and Apple. Apple and Apple. So 
freelancing, your contract with your Exos. What is for, what's next? If you know what's uh, next. I'm trying, man. So I also do, yeah. I do accounting work on the side. <laughs> so I still work for my old firm as a contractor. And so they'll just give me random projects okay. here or there. And I just funnel yeah. all that money into more fitness stuff. So that's how I could kind of live myself there. Mm-hmm. Uh, assuming my bills are paid for. That's number one, obviously. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to do, what I sort of want to do now and have been wanting to do that for the last couple of years is combine a little bit of my law enforcement experience in what's called the tactical uh, strength and conditioning community. So it's basically any type of strength training strength coach in the world of tactical. So it's either uh, military or first responders, right? So firefighters, paramedics, and law enforcement. So unfortunately it's super hard to get in just like working for the government. It's super hard to get into this world. Um, I've been applying where I can, but I would love to get into a situation where I mainly train, you know, air quotes, the tactical athletes. So uh, whether it be a active duty Marine uh, or someone who's in the law enforcement Academy, I just I think I relate way more to those individuals from a, from a mentality perspective, and I would love to help them. Like, hey, you know, you're gearing up for this. You probably don't want to try to power lift your way through a 405 deadlift when you're, you know, you got to be able to drag a body that's 180 pounds. Like, yeah, you should build some strength, but you need your back to feel okay as well. You know, so things like that. It's like kind of like peeling them back versus dialing them up, which is what I have to do for the general pop. Is like. You know, different, and it's not better or worse, but like it's just a different. You're just tapping into a different part of training. That's like, I'm not the big raw raw guy, so I very much ideally like clients who are going to bust their ass without me going. You can do it and giving them high fives. I'm just not that dude, and I actually value a lot of people that do that. It's not diminishing their work at all. In fact, I think that's harder because, you know, to be up all the time for other people is says a lot about someone especially if they're a little depressed right we're all a little depressed to a certain extent if they're having a bad day if their training sucks if they're injured but yet they're high-fiving and they're and they're encouraging people to train through like whether it's like do five push-ups and they're like you know i roll my eyes a little bit or used to a lot more before i went through therapy and kind of figured out like, okay dude show some empathy yeah don't be a dick but I was like, man, the, right. there is actual skill to that. It's just a different skill that I just choose not to kind of go down too much. Uh, I want to focus a little bit more on like, hey, I want the guy or gal who's just dead set on a certain goal. And like, let's just be smart about how we get there. Because I sort of wish I had that when I was going through just my general fitness career. Right. So Cool. So it's, and it's a little different clientele, general population, where it's it's uh, fat loss and getting healthier getting and getting is stronger. The, toned is the big one. <laughs> getting toned yeah I, I i purposely avoided that but um so but and so in a way it's similar I'm, I'm gonna try to make a connection see if you can bear with me sure. for a second they're saving themselves because they're getting healthier 100 right and so if you and you want to become a coach and trainer for these people uh tactical uh paramedics uh, law enforcement they're training not to save themselves, they're training to save others. So in a way, it's like making an impact still. It's not on this one person in front of you. You're training this person so they can drag the person out of a building. They can protect their other officer when they're out in the field. It, it really like that, is right? life or death. I mean, not to also diminish general pop because it is life or death. Right? You know, right. general pop mm-hmm. guy or gal who's going to have a heart attack in 20 years. And if you could, if you could prevent that by just, hey, just weightlift twice a week, cardio twice a week. That's tremendous, right? That's going to make the world go 
around. Right. I just think where I feel my place is, at least that's the next step. I mean, I'll change my mind if we talk in three years. I could be doing freaking who knows what. Um, th- that's just where I feel I fit a little more in value because I didn't go military, because I got a little taste of law enforcement. I'm like, I like aspects, um, but I do think it could be done better. And this is how I think I could still make an impact in that environment because I value someone who's obviously they're putting themselves last in that priority list. And it's like, they're going to run towards the, the danger. They're going to do these things. And obviously you look around and you look at whatever your stance is on law enforcement, for example, if they're not in shape, dude, that to me is, it's like saying a plumber walks around. And he's like, Hey, can I borrow a wrench? You're like, wait, you're a plumber. You should have a wrench. If you're a police yeah. officer, you should be able to run a mile or whatever the hell it might be. And if it looks like you can't, mm-hmm. well, number one, you're engaging yourself first and foremost, because you could look up any like FBI study on cop killers and things of that nature. And the, the number one reason why those people did it, this, the people that survived and didn't you know, commit suicide, they're like, I picked that cop because he or she looked out of shape and it looked like I could get away with it. Right. It wasn't like I had a personal vendetta as like he or she is fat. So if I don't stab them to death, like, well, they're not going to beat me up. because They look they look helpless. I'm like, dude, if you're in a uniform and you're putting off that vibe, it, that is not good at all. Right. And, and then how is that you're going to get public trust and all those things? So I just think from a we haven't even touched on the mental side, but from a physical side, we can control this almost 100 percent. Yeah. Sometimes we get like I have chronic low back pain. It's a, it's terrible, right? But like I'm doing things to try to to mend this and fix it. But sometimes you just can't control it. Sometimes you just wake up and you're like, shit, my back's tight. Okay. But other than that, right, you could control a lot about your physical attributes. And like you could prepare yourself to run that mile. You could prepare yourself to be stronger when you get in a wrestling match and do do martial arts and do those things. Um, in terms of you're setting yourself up for a better mental state, and then obviously you need to work on your mental strength as well from therapy and, and psychology and, and things of that nature and meditation and, and whatnot. And and, and uh, so I think that is where like I believe I could be been, uh, at least have an impact to some extent. Um, and so that community is – I believe we're on a shift, especially like big military is finally putting thought into their current curriculum, their physical test, number one, right? Because they're still doing, we had to to do like sit-ups. When's the last time you've done a sit-up? You know, like like old school Jack LaLanne military sit-ups are like, dude, this is terrible. um, So I think they're finally looking to update and they're like, for big armor, they already have it for special forces and Navy SEALs. They have the best resources, but they're, they're going, you know what? We need coaches for these folks too, especially for these folks. The 18, 19-year-old kid who maybe played football and has been squatting wrong since 14 and probably fucked up his disc already, like that's who needs coaching. Right. Yeah. No, that's 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 awesome, man. And I think that uh, the timing is right in terms of, like you said, the shift is happening. Um, and it's not – right or wrong from general population to these folks. It's just what you're more interested and passionate about. And that's totally your right to pursue what you want to do. So uh, we are both, either of us are not knocking general pop personal trainers. You guys are doing a fantastic job. Uh, but like with any job, there's good and bad people. At the job. I actually so, even think it's uh, harder. I think I do think general pop to, to yeah. get into the mind, especially if you are wired the way we are, right? Like, it, it, it showing empathy and doing those things. Like it took a lot of therapy sessions to go like, okay, they're not going to be like you. Don't try to make them like you. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, give them maybe one mm-hmm. aspect they could strive for, but like, don't be upset that they're not like you. In fact, you almost selfishly want to be like glad they're not like you. It makes you a little more unique. And you're like, oh, I, I do stand above the crowd, but um, you're like, well, okay. But in their world, generalizing, um, just putting on their workout clothes has already been a mental hurdle, right? Walking into the gym has been a huge mental hurdle that they've already had to get past. And then you got to make them exert energy. I, I will say most of my clients, if not all of them, when they're in the session, man, they bust their ass. Like they are moving. Um, I thought that was going to be the hardest part was getting someone to actually move. Now, most of them, if not all of them in session work really, really hard. Sometimes almost too hard. I need, I need, I need to dial back. Okay. That's a great problem. But more so than not, it's the consistency and the frequency. Like, hey, yeah. you're doing this twice a week at best. That's great. It's better than zero, right? But maybe we should do it three times a week or at least the third day, go for a walk. Maybe you should lay off the cake. Whatever the hell it might be is the consistency and longevity over time that I find the hardest to instill because that's the long, that's the long game. You know, that, that – they don't see that right they see the scale and they see the short term they don't see that thing moving and so getting people to buy in and stay the course um i've only been doing this for the last three years so i think it need like i almost want to tell people hey go train for five years then come see me right don't get hurt like you know i'll teach you the foundation but then go put in the legwork for five years then come back see me let's now figure this out because uh i just vibe better with someone who's sort of inherently a little more motivated right they they gotcha you know. yeah Be- because it's a lifestyle change it's it's a lot of society is like oh to get in shape you do these diets this 12 16 week thing you lose the weight you look better for the vacation for summer for the beach whatever it is and then you lose those habits you lose that mentality and that's just that's crash crash dieting sometimes sure. sometimes it's done in a healthy way but it's just not sustainable. You like, like more people like this is one thing I've had to overcome is not view it as dieting as I'm improving my lifestyle so I can be healthy so I can be around for as long as I can in decade, decade from now. I don't like uh, my family has a lot of health problems and Mm. uh, heart issues, like family history stuff. So it's like, I need to be better for me, for my future family. Right. So more, I think more people, uh, like we're America, we could go on and on, but like America is one of the like most overweight, unhealthy countries, right? Sure. It's just like, and it's rampant, and it's who knows if it's tied directly to our career and work uh, styles and capitalism and all that. Um, it could whatever I it think is. There's aspects to that. It's like, and, and so, then even the medical profession, uh, right? They they go to a doctor for hypertension. Oh, here's some medicine. Now the doctor should prescribe. Yep. They should be covered by insurance. They should prescribe 24 personal training sessions, 30 minutes weight training or whatever the heck it might be. That should be prescribed. That should be covered by insurance. You should be able to go to a 24 hour fitness or wherever and go like, here, I have this prescription for training. My thing. Because a lot of people, they're just, they're looking to check a box. This is what my therapist told me. It was well put. Um, is Fitness is a check the box in the day. It's like a, a 30 minute or one hour session. Oh, look, I feel much better. I've checked the box. And I was like, you know, that's a very valid point because there's obviously a lot of times where I'm doing one session. I'm like, God, this session sucks. This is going to do nothing. He or she is going to just negate this whole workout because they're going to go and eat horrifically or I'm never going to see them again. But then I started thinking about, no, like there is a tremendous 
powerful impact that one workout can have, whether that's just improving your day 10%, because that's what it did for us, right? Like when I was working in the business world, I knew it was time to get out when I would always work out in the morning. I had to get my mind right day from the starting the day super early and I had to be better throughout the day. Uh, I knew it was bad when back then we had blackberries. So they had like the red, the red flashing yeah. dot and whatever. I knew it was bad when I was working out and I would constantly check my phone even back then. And I, I would feel sick to my stomach of the work that I had to go to next. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like this is, I could feel the turning point. Like this is how a lot of people go down this bad path. I'm like, no, no, no. Health has to be a priority. Like you don't need to work out three hours in a day, but I got to feel good in this gym. Um, I don't need to have, I don't need to hit PR, but I need to put in some sweat equity and I need to disconnect for like 45 minutes. And if I can't do that, you're probably in the wrong profession. Dude, Absolutely. Oh man, I I want to keep talking to you for hours. I, I, I have a lot, man. I'm sorry. No, no, dude, it's all good. This is amazing. Um, I just want to give you a chance to wrap up on anything we didn't we did touch on to clarify to summarize or uh, to go into something that you didn't talk about, but that won't be another hour. Long. I know, man. It, there's a lot. You know, I, I would <laughs> just say for for most, look into if you don't if you've never seen a therapist. Um, whether you think you have air quotes problems or not, there's always something we can improve upon. I was going to suggest a therapist. If you can't afford it, there's, um, I forget, you could Google search affordable therapist, but I forget the, the website. There's also interns that are that are just looking to get hours and whatnot. They're overseen by a licensed therapist and psychologist. So just start there. Um, get a third-party perspective on some of your own thoughts. A lot of times it's similar to what I just did. Talk for like an hour and you start unveiling certain things and unpacking things that you never would have if you wrote in a diary or you sat by yourself. Talking out loud does unleash a different aspect. So I would encourage that for anybody, whether you think you're mentally healthy or not. I would also encourage for guys – in, um, in particular, uh, get your hormones checked. So we didn't even go into TRT, testosterone replacement therapy, but I've been on it since I was 32. Um, I think a lot of guys, if you've if you've read Lewis House's, you know, mask and masculinity and all those things, like we didn't even touch on masculinity. That's a huge topic. Um, there's there's stuff to be uncovered with blood work and things of that nature that I had no idea existed, and I think it actually. It, um, it, one of the reasons why I actually ended a relationship in my earlier years, one of the reasons why I realized my brain was in a fog and I was no longer air quotes smart anymore. Like I just wasn't getting things. And I didn't, I didn't think to the, at all that it'd be hormone related, especially as a 29, 30 year old. And it 100% was. And, um, and so something that's such as easy to fix that, like that, I think a lot of dudes, regardless of your age, okay. Yeah. If you're 24 and you know, things are working just fine, probably okay. But I was showing symptoms at age 27, 28. And so I would suggest just that. So we, we could go down that whole rabbit hole. Say, Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate your time and your awesome, man. Uh, that was super cool. One last segment. It's called That One Thing. Oh, so you have the attention of the whole world, all the people. Don't worry about language barriers. A video, a message, a picture, whatever it is. What would you say to everyone and why? What's that one thing? I think the one thing that transcends age uh, and then, of course, gender is you need to try as many things as possible. Um, there's a lot of people. I mean, you, you know, the old saying where you most great ideas are in, are in the graveyard. 
I think a lot of people on their deathbed, this is what I fear the most is we're always going to regret things. We cannot change that. But can you at least say I did a lot to, to combat the list of regrets and I tried as much as I possibly could, obviously without putting great risk to, if you're, if you have a family and this is that you're taking care of people. Okay. It can still be done, but you have to think obviously a little more conservatively and you got to be smart about it. But I would encourage anyone, especially if you don't have too many dependents, what helped me was obviously one thinking less logically in my brain, more on my gut and my heart and going after that. But actually even before that was, Thinking about the worst case scenario, I think Tom Bill, you talked about that, or he got it from other people, obviously, but I envisioned whatever the worst case scenario was of trying this thing. And let's say it's, I want to start my own business. Okay. What's the worst case scenario? I go bankrupt. Okay. Could you live with that? Yes or no? Yes, because I tried and I will learn and I would at least say, Hey, I tried at that baking company or whatever. Then do it. It's almost that simple. Obviously, we're we're um, simplifying a lot of things, but when you approach it that way, it takes away a lot of the logic and the pros and cons lists and crunching the numbers. Like, dude, just go after it. Sometimes you have to figure that stuff out. We know that life's on a straight line, so try things. Like, fail often. You know the whole thing about failure. There is you can just walk away with a lesson. Worst case, um, and financially, like. For a lot of people, especially in the business world where I come from, they get caught up in making a certain salary and living a certain lifestyle. I would say if you're doing something for money and if you're not, if that money's not being passed on to your family and it's just yourself or even if you do have a family, take a look at your lifestyle. Take a look at what you're eating at night, what you're driving. If you're driving you know, extravagant cars, you're in this big house and then you're complaining about how you're not fulfilled and you're not following the dream of – starting your own company or whatever the heck it might be, I don't want to talk to you. That is not an excuse, right? You're making 200 grand. Fantastic. Think about your deathbed. Like, are you going to give a shit about your house then? Or are you going to care about the relationships you built and the things that you've tried? So that's what I would encourage. Absolutely amazing, man. I, man, try a bunch of shit. <laughs> if it doesn't work out, keep going. Dude, that's way that's, better than what I, that's perfect. No, no, I just got, I got to listen and think about it, but dude, that's freaking awesome. That's an amazing one thing. Amazing talk. Dave, where the hell can people find you if they want to talk to you more about it? Uh, I, I don't like to plug anything, but you know, you'll post something. Uh, I have an Instagram account. It's nothing to, to write home about. So you can find me there. If you search my name, Dave Bauman at Fit Pursuits, you could always send me an email or a DM. I, I do appreciate, I don't have a huge following by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but like Gary V talks about, you know, one is greater than zero. And so there has been times where someone has reached out to me through a DM. It's very rare, but sometimes they'll reach out and I'm like, man, I didn't even know him or her even followed me or even if they don't. And it made some type of, of impact. So uh, that's sort of what I do it for. And just being in the industry, it's helpful to have a little social media following. So that's where I'm mainly at. Awesome. Everyone follow him, message him, tell him this is the best episode, the Relatively Vulnerable Podcast. You have heard to date. Dave, thanks for your time, man. It was awesome to reconnect after these years and being so open and honest. Um, you kind of relit a fire that was starting to dwindle in my awesome. stomach. Uh, I I think way too much with my brain, not enough with my heart and my gut. So I'm just going to do my best to take a le this lesson from podcast and just fucking go after it and think about the what if worst case and just keep going so i appreciate i appreciate a lot dude oh yeah uh 
Awesome. Uh, well, thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Relatively Vulnerable Podcast. If you haven't already, I'd love and appreciate a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps out a lot in terms of growing the listenership. If you want to take it a step further, you can throw a few bucks towards the podcast and donate at anchor.fm slash relatively vulnerable and click the support button. I always love hearing your feedback and support, so if you post or share about the podcast, please tag me at Matt Lee Digital on Twitter or Instagram. Thanks and have an awesome day.